Reading from God's Word is taken from the Gospel according to John chapter 20. John 20, starting at verse 19. And we'll read to the end of the chapter, and then in chapter 21, 1 through 14 is the text for this morning's sermon. John 20, starting at verse 19. At the beginning of this chapter, we read about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19, then the same day at evening... Being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the prints of the nails and put my finger into the print of his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then comes our text. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. 
And therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? knowing it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Our song of response to the preaching of the word will be hymn 40, the stanzas 4 and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, following the resurrection... Our Lord Jesus is busy with two things. The days between his resurrection and his ascension, he wants to make sure that the disciples know that he is alive and that he is the same one who died but now is risen. That's the first, to convince them that he is alive. The other thing that he was busy with is preparing, teaching the disciples for what is coming because they have to go out into this world, they have to preach the gospel, they have to make disciples of the nations. So what the Lord is doing in these days between his resurrection and his ascension is look ahead. He has his mind also on you. As we are gathered here this morning as his people, he wants to have a church that serves him, that knows the truth, that is certain of the gospel and certain of the Savior, but also a church that is able to face the challenges that are ahead to deal with a world that is not so willing to listen. Now, the way in which the Lord Jesus comes to his disciples in these days between his resurrection and his ascension, the way he comes to them also reflects this care, this focus of our Savior. Because you may notice that when the Lord appears to his disciples, they at times don't recognize him. 
And that is on purpose. Think of the two men who were walking to Emmaus, and the Lord Jesus catches out with them. And in our text, the same. They don't know who he is till later on. And the Lord does it on purpose. In a way, he, he hides his identity. Because remember what he said when Thomas wanted to see it and touch it. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Because he knows that soon he will be leaving and the disciples will have to work with the word. Not what is visible, but what is audible. So it is with that in mind that he now first appears to his disciples in this way and works with them in order to prepare them for their task ahead. And that's the focus of our text this morning. So I proclaim to you God's word this morning under this theme that the Lord prepares his church for the future. And he does that by showing that the church can face the future in confidence because of his word, in humility because of his majesty, and in joy because of his victory. So we may face the future in confidence because of the word of our Savior, in humility because of the majesty of our Savior, and in joy because of the victory of our Savior. First of all then, the confidence. And the apostles, or some of them, but we may assume all of them, were in Galilee. We read in our text about some of them. They are in Galilee and because that's where the Sea of Tiberias is located. So that means that they have in the meantime left Jerusalem because chapter 20 is still in Jerusalem. The day of the resurrection, the week later. But now they are back in their homeland, you could say. This is where they had grown up. This is where they had worked a lot. And they also are back at the work that they were used to do, fishing. Not that they are back at it for full time. They're waiting. They're waiting because the Lord Jesus had said to them, you have to go to Galilee and I will come there to you and I will work with you there. Because the Lord Jesus wants to prepare these men for the task ahead. And it was not an easy task. He had to tell them that they have to go out into this world with a message, with a gospel, that the world was not really waiting anxiously to hear and to receive. In fact, he had told them, when you go out, you have to be prepared to face opposition. A servant or a disciple is not above his master. They have hated me, they will hate you too, he had said. So these men, these fishers, they had to face a world that was opposed to them. And behind the opposition in this world is an unseen power. That is the devil, the enemy. He will do everything to stop this progress of the gospel. So how will, will these few men take on a world that is hostile to them? 
How can they take on the powers that are behind the opposition in this world? That's the situation. And it's good for us to think about that. Because we may think at times that who are we in this world and the forces that are opposed to the gospel and the truth of the gospel are so overwhelming and so powerful. What can we do? Well, we are the first ones. If you think about these disciples facing a hostile world. And so the Lord comes to them and he prepares for them for what is coming. And he, it says in verse 1 of our chapter, After these things Jesus showed himself again to his disciples. And that word showing here or revealing means he has a purpose in mind. He wants to make something clear. Like when you show something to a person, you want to convince that person. You want to indicate something to this person. Something that may not be clear. And you can say, well, I'll show you. And so the Lord also showed himself. It's more than he's there. He's present. Or he's alive. No, he comes to them with the purpose of telling them something about him, about his kingdom, about their task, about our hope. Because the better you know Christ, who he is, and what he does, the better you know your strength. The more you know him, the more you know what to do. And that's what the apostles had to learn. That's what we have to learn as well. Facing a hostile world, we have to know Christ. And we have to know the power of his word. Because we meet the disciples or the apostles as they are back in their homeland, back at their old job, you could say. They're waiting according to the command of Christ. And so they, at a certain moment, went fishing. They had to wait anyways. They had to live too. So they went out and went fishing. But behind that, behind this, 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 this decision of Simon Peter to say, I'm going fishing, and the other one said, well, we'll come along. You see, the providence of God, the Lord is directing all of it. Because he wants to talk to them in a language that they can understand. He wants to remind them of something. Because the disciples went out, but they caught nothing the whole night. They were out there, the nets were empty. And the Lord knew all of that. So he just lets them toil the whole night and made sure there were no fish in the nets. And then in the morning, he comes. He stands on the shore. They do not know it is him. He doesn't want them to know it is him at this point. And there must have been, the boat must have been close enough to the shore for the Lord to talk to them. He says, children, have you any food? 
the term children is not so much here a reference to being a child. It's more like an expression of friendship, lads. You want to be really colloquial, guys, you guys, you lads. Have you any food? And the way he asks this, he already indicates that he knows the answer. He says, you haven't caught any food, have you? As if he has to rub it in a bit more yet. He's asking for fish, he's asking for food, but he knows they have nothing. So he, he reminds them, you've labored in vain the whole night. And so their answer is indeed a very terse and short no. And then he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. It's a very short and simple command, but in a way a very strange command. The other side of the boat. If you would say, well, go to the other side of the lake, or could do that particular part of the lake because there's lots of fish there. But what does the other side of the boat do in terms of catching fish? What difference is it going to make? Why would it be more on the other side of the boat? Well, that's exactly the point. That this command may seem strange, but it is a command. Do this, he says. And then they obey. So they threw the net out on the other side. And then suddenly they were not able to draw the net in because of the multitude of fish. You see, the providence of our God. How the Lord Jesus also directs the fish and the water. He's master over all. He rules heaven and earth. He also rules the fish there in the Sea of Tiberias. And it is at that point that the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that is John himself who writes this gospel, he says to Peter, it is the Lord. It is at that point that he recognizes the Lord. The nets are now full, and he realizes this must be the master. Perhaps he was reminded of something that happened only a few years ago when they had been called as disciples. Something similar had happened then. And the Lord had said to them, I will make you fishers of men. Something similar happens. So the Lord talks to them in a language that they can relate to, can understand. He shows them his power and the power of his word. But note at what point they recognize him. Not when they hear his voice, first of all. But after they had followed his command and seen the power of that word in the fish that they had caught. You see? The Lord takes, you could say, a detour to convince them of the power of his word. 
But that's what this miracle does. It shows the power of the word of our Savior. He simply said, throw out the net on the other side. They did it, and look, the net is full. His word directed the fish into the net. And that made them say, this is the Lord. This is our master. So the Lord Jesus wants to help his disciples by showing them how powerful his word is and how he, by that word, will guide the fish into the net. They will have to go out into this world and be fishers of men. How will these people come in? They have to go out into a hostile world with a powerful enemy who is roaming around like a lion trying to stop and to devour. What is their strength? It is this, the Word. Because it is the Word of the Lord. It is the Word of the living Savior. And wherever that Word comes, He Himself is present in His power, in His majesty, in His holiness. And He is the one who brings the fish into the net. He is the one that will bring people into His kingdom. He is the one who will, with His Word, break down all the opposition. One word will fell the adversary and bring in the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, we need to be convinced of the power of the word of our Lord. For where that word is and is proclaimed, he himself is present to do his work. That counted for the disciples, that is evident through the history of the church, that is also then our confidence. As we live in a world where there's so much opposition and the opposition is increasing, isn't it? The attacks are increasing. And you may think, who are we? What can we do? What can the church do? This is where we have to start. To be convinced and to be convicted that that word is indeed a power unto salvation. It is that word that brings his people together. It is that word that brings fish into the net. So brothers and sisters, be confident. No, not in your own efforts. Do not be confident in your programs and, and what you can do and how you can do things, no matter how important they are. We need to be confident the power of the word. That is our strength. The strength of the church, also in today's world, the strength of the church as we face an uncertain future in terms of what will happen, is the word. So hold on to it. Gather where it is proclaimed. Because there Christ himself is present. And he will bring the fish into the net. He will bring those 
for whom he died into the kingdom that he has established. And he will break down the power of the adversary. Be confident in the power of his word. Secondly, comes the humility because of the majesty of our Savior. Because when Simon Peter realizes that this is the Lord, he jumps overboard and he wades through the water to the shore, indicating that the boat was not very far from the shore, kind of shallow. And the other disciples, they're following the boat. They bring in this amazing catch. But then when they come to the shore, brothers and sisters, look what happens. When they come to the shore, what did they see? Verse 9. As soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. So there is a fire, there is fish, there is bread. We don't read anything about their reaction. But it is remarkable, isn't it? Because the Lord had asked for fish. He had asked for food. And they had nothing. And he had provided the fish by his power. And now they come to the shore. And really, it's not needed anymore. It's already. There's a fire coals, there's bread, there's fish. He already had it ready for them. Was their work then all in vain? No. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. So the Lord recognizes that work too. He says, okay, bring some of that fish as well and we'll make it all into one meal. It's more than an incident here. Again, the Lord is showing something. He's revealing something. He's teaching, convincing. And the first part we saw was how powerful His Word is. Follow that Word. Trust that Word. Obey that Word. Bring that Word. And you'll see the results. Now comes the second. And that is this. Don't think that I need you, as if I cannot do without you, as if I cannot bring my kingdom together unless you do your work. I can do the same thing without you. Fire, fish, bread. Oh yes, their task is important. They have to go out into this world, bring that powerful word. The keys of the kingdom are given to them. But never should these men think that the king himself depends on them. They have to realize, we need to realize, that also without us, the Lord can bring the kingdom to its glory. That is his majesty. And that humbles us. And so also these disciples are humbled. They have to see how important that word is, but also then they have to see their own place. That the Lord says, you cannot bind me 
to your efforts. I can make children of Abraham out of stones if I want to. Do your work faithfully. Proclaim the gospel. Teach. Make disciples. But don't think that you can make my kingdom. That is my work. Brothers and sisters, the coming of God's kingdom, even though we are all involved in it, in our various tasks and obligations, but the coming of that kingdom does not depend on us. God can do it without us too. And he will at times do it without us. So we have to be confident in the power of the word. We also have to be humble because of the majesty of our God and recognize him as the one who is gathering, defending, and preserving his people. And you know what it does? Like his peace. Because there's a tremendous task ahead. And if the, came, the coming of the kingdom would depend on humans, if it depended on them, they would never be able to have a restful sleep. Always be stressed out. Have I done enough? I could have done differently. But now the Lord says, do your work, and I will take care of it for the rest. It's my work. Do it faithfully. Give it all. Know the power of the word, but then leave the results to me. No, he doesn't ignore their work. Take some of the fish. We'll add it to it. But he doesn't need our work. So, brothers and sisters, be humble. Our God does not depend on us. As if what we do will determine how it will go. If that were the case, we'd be stressed out. Never do enough. But we have to be faithful and then also leave it in his hands. And you see that also in the third place in our text because the, the, the text ends in an interesting way, kind of a quiet meal. It even says they didn't dare to ask, who are you? You see... If it all depends on us, then, then you can never relax. Then, then you get burned out. But when it is his work, and when you see the majesty and the power of his work, then you become peaceful, joyfully peaceful. And that's exactly what is happening here. They celebrate here with the Lord. They have a meal together there on the shores of Lake Tiberias. He asked them to have a meal with them. Come, he says, and eat breakfast. You worked hard this whole night. Now have a hearty meal. And he gives them fish and bread. And no one dares to ask the question because they know exactly who he is. But it also conveys some of the joy of the moment. They, they savor being there with this master 
And he says, come. Serving me is a joyful reality because of my victory. And before the task begins, before they have to go out into this world and face the enemy and do the task that is called, they may already eat and drink with him. That's how certain the victory is. Yes, our Lord is busy. Our Lord is busy too because he has to complete the task given to him by his Father to, to gather, to defend, and to preserve God's people, to bring them all in. But before he sends his servants out, he says, let's celebrate. Because your work has to be done in the certainty of the victory of the king. So not only the power of the word, the humility because of his majesty, but also the victory is certain and that, is, and that makes our work also in the church joyful. Because it was not just for these men that the Lord did this. He had you in mind. So that we today know how powerful that word is. And where that word is present also here, he is at work. And we have to do our utmost to make sure that that word continues to be proclaimed and preached. We can be confident of his majesty and that humbles us, that he will Bring in, according to his plan, those whom he has chosen from eternity. And that then also gives true joy. Savoring, also here in the fellowship that we may have, the victory of our king. And that joy is the beginning of eternal joy. So yes, our king is in heaven. He left us in that sense, but he left us with his word, with his power, with his majesty, and with his joy, never absent from us. And so, brothers and sisters, as we face the future, we too may eat and drink in the kingdom of our, our God and Father and long for the day when he will again eat and drink with us. Amen.